0: I don't know if you know this, but uh, this week is shaping up to be great. I'm starting it off with my Mr. Rogers sweater on. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. I don't know if you are. Uh, but do you hear about the snow that we might uh, might miss us? It might go a little north of us. Did you guys hear about this? Some of you are like, what? Wednesday? Yeah, I'm excited about that. I hope we get 12 inches. That would be amazing. You get, no? Nobody's excited about that. You know, snow day from school? Oh, wait. You know, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> hey, I want to celebrate something real quick before we jump into the message. Yesterday, 24 moms and 58 children came through uh, our, our building of sorts, not really came through our building, but a fresh start for single mothers and their children. We were able to hand out all those Christmas gifts that we and then other members of our community that partnered with us um, just helped to be a part of for that. And so I, I just want to celebrate that. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty great stuff. Um, I, you know, got a text from, uh, we got a text from Sylvia yesterday, and uh, she's, she's just so great about saying thank you uh, for those those kinds of things, but um, I, I just love being a part of those those types of things. Uh, today, we're continuing our Christmas sermon series. As Adria mentioned, we're talking about how Jesus is unique, um, and we've looked at how Jesus is a unique way. He's the way to God, and because of that, he's the one that we can put our hope in. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is uniquely alive. Jesus stands alone because he was alive, and then he was dead, and then he was alive again. And because of this, God is uniquely alive and active in our lives uh, today. And uh, we're looking at a way today in which he makes himself known in our lives, uh, because Jesus is a unique Lord. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the term Lord. There's a few things that immediately pop into mind for me. The first is Lord Vader. Um, By the way, Rip, uh, rest in peace, David Prowse. Um, He was the guy who was actually behind the mask as the actor, and he passed away at the age of 85 uh, last week, I think, or the week before. Somebody correct me. I know some of y'all are like, you guys are holding out, but I know you know. Uh, The other one is Sauron, you know, Lord of the Rings, which was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but I knew that. Um, that's a joke that some of y'all will really appreciate. Uh, A little bit of an inside joke, but not really because I messed up in a sermon once, but that's okay. Uh, So I think about him. Uh, Also, and this is really random, but as I was thinking about this, this is one of the ones that popped up into mind for me, but Lord Farquaad, do you remember him from Shrek? I don't know. I just think he just comes up uh, in my my head, but mostly, you know, when I think about Lords, I, I think about, I don't think about necessarily the technical oh that's a duke or you know whatever it is I think about kings you know lord and kings Um, uh, people who have control over other people like these lords and most of the page turner events of history are about people who are exerting their control over other people Uh, almost six years ago probably my favorite portrayal uh, lately most recent is about six years ago there's a Broadway production premiered uh, by the name of Hamilton have you have you heard of this? I'm pretty sure my wife hasn't memorized the whole thing. Um, Last year I took Renee to see the touring production that came through Richmond, Altria Theater. You remember live events? Those happened once. Uh, And so we did... That's not a... We can't joke about that yet? Too soon. okay. Uh, but I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I, like I really enjoyed it, but i got to admit, there's one uh, portrayal that was particularly my favorite, and that was King George III. Uh, Jonathan Goff's performance, some of you know him better as Christoph in Frozen. Um, and here's my favorite line from one of his, one of his songs. Uh, and he sings this, Oceans rise, empires fall, we have seen each other through it all, and when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. I just think think that's a great portrayal of the absurdity of how humanity seeks to exert control over others. Like, this is the way I'm going to show you that I love you. I'm going to create as much pain and suffering in your life so you'll do what I want you to do. And and like that is is a pretty uh, pretty accurate portrayal throughout history of how a lot of lords and kings have exerted their power control. Some of it's because of greed, some of it's come because of selfishness or the lust uh, for power. But some of it comes from a albeit misguided, genuine place of thinking. Well, I know exactly what's best for each and every one of you. And so, if I can exert enough power control over you to force you to do it, you'll have a better life. Now, I know that's true about me. If all of you at home here were under my power and control and were forced to do what I wanted you to do in your life, you'd have the best life ever. Yeah. And I know, I know that you believe that and trust that I would make all the perfect decisions for you in your life, right? No? Okay. Every once in a while, though, there is a leader where a lot of people get behind that person and they think, oh man, they've got great ideas and if we follow them, you know, that, that this will be a great thing uh, for us. Maybe they become a king, they develop enough, collect enough other leaders that they're able to build a large enough followership um, that you can have most of the populace who becomes happy with them and everybody's willing to follow them. Uh, but if it doesn't fall, all fall apart within that leader's lifetime, it's going to fall apart within their successors. You know, we, we've seen that happen time and again. There's only but so many monarchies that are actually left in the world. There are only like 20-some, and most of them aren't even true monarchies. They're figureheads for their countries. They don't have sovereign control. And, and, you know, we're, as a society, we're not very interested in a sovereign king, maybe in the pageantry of the British monarchy every once in a while, right, when there's a wedding or somebody's crowned, but no taxation without representation, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Most of us don't want that level of control over our lives. You know, a lord or a king dictating to us what we do. And yet, that's who Jesus came to be. Jesus comes to be lord and king over our lives. Um, And as much as that is a celebratory reality for those who are disciples of Jesus, it's an unwelcome disruption for many others. And perhaps we can remember in a time in our lives when that's been the case. Um but I think it's mostly due to how we experience the brokenness of humanity and how we try to exert our own sovereign control over our own lives or the lives of other people in our life for how it's been exerted over us. But Jesus is a unique king. About two years after Jesus' birth, uh, there's an interaction with a uh, traditional type of king, if you will. Uh, His birth has caught the attention of King Herod, And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read um, about King Herod's reaction to this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So this group from the east, the Magi, probably from uh, Persia, the Persian Empire, they fit the description of this class of royal wise men. And so these would have been the you know, uh, scientists, the mathematicians, the astrologers and the astronomers um, uh, who have been seen as a type of uh, teacher, uh, political leader, even a religious uh, leader as well. And so they saw a star and they started heading west uh, to visit this king of the Jews that they had read about in the old Hebrew text that they were familiar with, the old, what we would call the Old Testament. And so they come to King Herod, and they ask him this question that may seem normal. You know, where's the one who's been born, the, born king of the Jews? But the problem is King Herod was king of the Jews at that time. And if you don't know who King Herod is, and some of you do, uh, some of you know a little bit about his, his history, and we know quite a bit about him because of the historian Josephus. But King Herod was called King Herod the Great. And he was called the great, not because he was great, a great king, but because he had done some great things. And so he had built a lot of impressive things. He actually rebuilt the temple that was there in Jerusalem, and he had made it a majestic sight to behold. And so he was called that. But King Herod was a a tyrant. And so when Herod hears about, you know, hey, there's this new king we want to worship, he thinks this is uh, the worst thing ever, and so does everyone else in Jerusalem. That's why they were disturbed along with him. Um, Herod, uh, he was infamous for killing not only his family members, but just about anybody that he feels is a threat. He gets crazier and more paranoid the longer he lives his life, and Jesus is born towards the end of that. In fact, uh, right at the end of Herod's reign, as he is dying... He, some of you may know this, but he gets as many nobles uh, rounded up as possible to be executed as soon as he dies, just so people in the city would be mourning someone. And that's how evil this, this guy was. Uh, thankfully, his family didn't carry out his, his wishes. And so this is the king that the magi come to. This is the king that the people are familiar with. Uh, on top of that, they're ruled by the Roman Empire. Um, And and they ask, you know, where's the Messiah to be born? And so they quote Micah 5.2. The religious leaders of the day come to Herod Herod and say, well, this is what's been prophesied some 700 years earlier about a ruler coming from Bethlehem to be the Messiah. Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And, and Herod, uh, you know, is, is so crazy at this point that the Magi know that they can't go back to him. They go seek out Jesus. And some of you are familiar with this. Scripture uh, tells us that Herod actually sends soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every male child two and under just so he can try to get at Jesus. Um, because a typical response from those who are lords and, and kings throughout history are to seek and consolidate and solidify and hold on to positions of control no matter what. And that's one of the things that makes Jesus a unique king, a unique lord over our lives. Kings of this world are threatened by the disruption of their power from other people, but Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't threatened by that at all. He comes as a unique king, and he starts off in the most vulnerable way that he possibly could. When the Magi get to the house where Jesus is, they see the child with his mother Mary. This is in Matthew 2, chapter 11, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, most of us could have like, said, hey, what are the three gifts uh, that the Magi bring to Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We, we know that. But how did the magi greet Jesus? We would maybe have a little bit different picture of what that looks like. They bow down. These royal, high-level, political, religious, wise men, teachers come to Jesus, and they bow down and worship him. And when we think of bow down and worship him, maybe we have some particular ideas of what that looks like in our lives. But the, but the Greek word that's used, used here, um, proskuneo, proskuneo, uh, which is that's just a thing that you can put in the back of back of your head means a very specific type of prostration that these men take part in to celebrate Jesus as royalty. So so we're talking about, and I want I want you, I just want you to think about this in terms of how we recognize Jesus as King. When, when we're talking about bowing down and worshiping, we're not talking about like just you know the. The, the flourish, where we bow down. We're talking about getting down on our hands, getting down on our knees, getting down on our hands, getting down on our face, and worshiping our Lord and Savior and King. That's the position that these men put themselves in. Because they were recognizing something very specific about how Jesus came, and how He came to live, and and what His life was meant for, and that's royalty. I mean, that's that's part of who Jesus is to us. He's our Lord and He's our Savior, and He's our King, and that has some very you know very specific um, um, impacts for our life as we think about. What are, what, are we th- what are the things or what are the people in our lives that we bow down to, that, that we celebrate, that we treat um, as royalty or that we give control of our life to? Because Jesus takes a very unique path to kingship. I mean he he doesn't like establish this earthly kingdom where he's like sitting on a throne and determining executions and saying hey we're going to take over this territory next or here's the taxation rate you know that we're going to we're going to have right now you know in mark chapter one we get this great summation of jesus entire message in his life and ministry uh, jesus kicks off his ministry uh, you know by saying the time has come the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And this was the inbreaking of God's sovereign reign being established over his people. I mean, this is the development of God's plan all along for us, his reign in the world through Jesus' work. And the reality of the kingdom of God, how we're called to live, how God created us to live, is breaking in and forth because of Jesus and his ministry. Um, Jesus, you know, his politics were of a different kingdom. And if if you missed our sermon series from a few weeks ago, I'd encourage you to go back through and and listen to that and study through that um, and see how it's different from uh, the earthly kingdoms and how the kingdom of Jesus consistently upsets earthly kingdoms throughout history um, and today. But Jesus still reigns today, and he will come back one day and usher the kingdom of God over all creation once and for all. Because Advent isn't just about baby Jesus, you know, eight pounds, six ounce, golden fleece diaper, baby Jesus, but it's about King Jesus and his return. His kingdom of God is what we see Jesus talking about and teaching and preaching more than any other topic. Even um, being called the Christ, you know, this comes from Jesus' title as being Messiah, the anointed one. Now, Christ isn't his last name, you know, we're saying that in acknowledgement of him as the king. In the book of Revelation, we fast forward to that second coming of Jesus. And one of the images that we see from Revelation chapter 19 um, is is not sweet baby Jesus. It's not Jesus, the the strong carpenter or laborer who preached and did miracles, but it's the victorious Jesus, the living one, the King Jesus glorified. And in Romans 19, John uh, writes this. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white, and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine press, the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written: King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. The Revelation is painting a picture for us with all of its with all of its imagery about good and evil and God and the world and Satan being our enemy. He's the, you know we we have a picture painted of the victorious King that Jesus is, who has conquered death but has also conquered everything that is contrary to the kingdom of God because that's how death is conquered in our lives. But this is where his motivation comes in that makes him a unique Lord in our lives. The victory of King Jesus is not to gain control. God already has that. he, He doesn't need to regain control. The victory of Jesus in our life is to redeem us from the lack of control that we have if we're willing to acknowledge that and recognize that reality in our lives. Jesus doesn't need our accolades or celebrations of Him being King. We need the celebration of who he is as King. We need to be able to praise Him for our lives. And one of the signs of uh, being ruled in your life is disruption. That's what kings, that's what rulers, that's what lords, you know, that's what politicians, that's what governments, that's what they do. They they disrupt our lives. And all of us have experienced disruption this year, but the impact from what we're disrupted by can be significantly different based on the choices that we make and what we're ruled by. A few days ago, uh, Gallup, you know, they're the ones that, you know, not not the horse or anything, but they're the ones that uh, do, do polls. Uh, so Gallup uh, released the findings, and this was like December 7th, so just a five, uh, six, I don't know what day it is, so Uh, You you do the math. Uh, Five, seven days ago, something like that. I released the findings from Americans' assessment of their mental health and opened with these two sentences. Americans' latest assessment of their mental health is worse than has been at any point in the last two decades. Speaking of 2020, I know you're not shocked. Uh, 76% of U.S. adults rate their mental health positively, representing a nine-point decline from 2019. In every category, in, in, this, in this collection of information, in every category, whether it's gender, political party, race, religious service attendance, marital status, age group, household income group, there was a negative change in percentage points for mental health uh, comparing 2020 to 2019, save for one part of one category. The only positive growth change between 2019 and 2020 was for those who attend, and I know attendance looks a little bit different these days because we can talk about here, we're attending here in person, we're attending online uh, together and worshiping together. But the only positive growth change between 2019 and 2020 was for those who attend uh, religious services weekly. So even for those who attend monthly or seldom, you know, occasionally throughout the year, there were all negative changes you know, for their, for their mental health in their life. So there's only one part of one category that, that not only didn't change negatively, but it grew positively this year As for those who disrupt their Sunday morning every week to worship the king. Why is that? It's because we're ruled by what we allow to disrupt how we live life. And until Jesus returns again for his second coming as victorious king, we're given a choice to be disrupted by the control exerted over us or that we feel that we need to exert over other people or the control that we feel like circumstances or situations exert over our lives. Or we can be disrupted by those things. Or we can be disrupted by relinquishing the need to control life to the one who creates it, to the one who saves it, and the one who sustains life as king of kings and Lord of Lords. You know, think about how disruptive Jesus' arrival was for Mary and Joseph. Mary's like, oh, you're having a kid, um, and, and you're not married. So in her society, you know, that, that makes her an outcast, and everybody thinks she's a horrible person, right? So that's, that's how she starts things off. You know, she's thinking, oh, baby Jesus, this is such a fun time. <laughs> it wasn't for Mary initially, Jesus disrupted the life of Mary and Joseph, it disrupted the life of the shepherds who came to worship him the night he was born, the wise men who spend at least a couple years, you know, in preparation to come see toddler Jesus from the east, uh, disrupts Herod's life for sure, um, disrupts history. And while not everyone handles that disruption well, uh, Jesus as king changes the eternal trajectory of everyone's life who embraces his, his lordship. So when we look at our Sundays, or we look at our weekly schedules, or we look at our me time versus other time, or others time, or how we serve, how we spend money, um, how we react to the world around us, how we give friendship, how we let other people disrupt our lives, right, because that's a part of it. Self-help will tell you the opposite, that you shouldn't let other people disrupt your lives, Uh, but that's kind of the problem that we've been facing the last few months, is that we haven't had enough of that. Um, advice, that's a whole other message we'll get there some uh, later. Uh, advice, how we work, why we work, our thought life, whose image we're striving to mold our lives after. Um, are these things being disrupted by the things of this world or by the rule of Jesus as king over our lives? I mean, this, this is a, a period of uh, you know, self-assessment and reflection and evaluation examining Uh, as the Holy Spirit guides us to see maybe there's an area in our life that we haven't brought under the reign of Jesus. Maybe we've kind of compartmentalized it, kind of kept it hidden in a drawer. Eventually that will come out. Maybe you have dark corners of your life. You're still still clinging to some, you know, uh, pride or selfishness or anger or resentment or or something uh, that you're holding on to, and you allow the inner you— to have control and temporarily overthrow the rule of Jesus in your life. You know, we know which it is uh, when the life that Jesus desires for us in Scripture is seen in the actions of how we live our lives, you know, which which it is when we allow what controls our lives. Um, And the attitudes and the thoughts and intentions that direct how we let God disrupt and direct our hearts and souls and minds each day in every way is totally different and totally unique from the cares and concerns and disruptions that anyone else who is not a disciple of Jesus faces and deals with in our life. Because we have a totally different perspective in those times in our life where we give everything over to who God is. And that we bow on our hands and our knees with our faces to the ground and worship and honor Uh, to the king who creates us and saves us and sustains us. He's worthy as our worship because of that, because of who he is, and because of how he rules. Uh, Because it's not just to exert control over us, but it's to redeem us from our lack of control through love and grace and mercy and justice. It's one of the reasons why we're able to celebrate this time of year. It's one of the reasons why every week at Velocity we celebrate communion uh, together. Because uh, as we take this, this bread and we drink this cup, we, we are recognizing the unique way in which Jesus establishes his lordship over us. Is that he comes and he doesn't stay like at this distant high level away from us and say, uh, this is how you peons ought to be living. He says, no, I'm going to become... Just like you, I'm going to start from the ground up. I'm going to experience exactly what you've experienced, and, and I'm going to I'm going to show you exactly, um, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to experience exactly how this life is meant to be experienced and lived. So as we as we pray together and prepare our hearts to take communion, uh, which you can grab on one of the tables that's, that's near you, um, I just ask that you uh, be listening to seeking out how the Holy Spirit might be leading you and guiding you to where. Um, you need Jesus to, to be king over your life. Let's pray. God, we uh, acknowledge you um, for, uh, for being almighty, for being sovereign, uh, for being the one who uh, is in control, always has been and always will be. And God, we ask that you help us to see uh, in our lives how we might respond appropriately as citizens of your kingdom and as we honor and give glory to King Jesus. And it's his, his name we pray. Amen.